Welcome to Work Matters, a podcast where we explore what leaders can do to make work more productive, valuable, meaningful, and impactful. My name is Thomas Bertels. I am the founder of Purpose Works and the host of this podcast. My guest today is John Yuzi. John is a leading expert on motivational job design and has more than 30 years of experience helping organizations redesign work for high performance. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Thomas. It's a pleasure to be here. It makes me nervous to hear you say 30 years experience. It's gone by quickly. It's been fun. So the work of Hertzberg, Hackman, Oldham, right, has really created a framework for designing and creating work that's intrinsically motivating. And you have obviously a lot of experience in this space. But a lot of those initial gains really have disappeared as, as technology has made inroads and has become like the main driver to achieve more productivity. As a result, right, work has become more efficient, at least on paper, but often at the expense really of effectiveness and engagement. Today, I think we wanted to talk about how job design or work design could really be a vehicle to counter that trend. John, what's the central idea behind job design? The central idea is really to collect a series of tasks and things that people do in the workplace. And when we put those things together, we end up calling that a job. But the, the driving focus of motivational work design is to do that in such a way that the work has intrinsic meaningfulness to the people who do it. And so that people would do this work just because they think it's important work to do. Uh, you mentioned the difference between effectiveness and efficiency. I think that's a, a major point. What happens over time, even in places that are very successful at motivational job design, sharp pencil accountants can come in and they start saying, well, we can save you a nickel a transaction. And they become very efficient. But that efficient efficiency can often be at the cost of effectiveness. And the difference being effectiveness is doing the right things. Efficiency is doing things right. Obviously, in an ideal workplace, you have both of those things. You're doing the right things and you're doing them well. It's my bias if I'm going to trade off. I want doing the right thing to be more important than efficiency and saving a few pennies here. But that's what happens over time. So what motivational work design can do is push you um, back into combining those two things so that you get to the point where by creating jobs where people have accountability and responsibility, either for a client segment or for a product segment, that, that you can get both efficiency and effectiveness. So the focus on, on job design is to build jobs that do that. There are tools that help you to do it. There's a survey instrument. I know you're very familiar with Thomas called the Job Diagnostic Survey, which measures your current jobs intrinsic figures, as well as your population. Because one of the things you really want to do in job design is match people to jobs, square pegs and square, and square holes. So our experience has shown that when you do the motivational work design, you can end up with organizations that are more efficient, that are clearly more effective, that perform better for customers. And you'll get customers who will say that. I was very pleased years ago when the, the Greenwich Associates Survey's ranking of banks, three of the five top banks were all designed with motivational work design. And uh, they were identified as being the best banks in the world at the services they provide. 
The central idea behind work design or job design is to, to optimize jobs towards task significance, autonomy, and feedback. Would you yeah. explain those concepts a little bit, help us understand what's behind those? Yeah, sure. Um, task significance is the idea that what the work that I'm doing is important. And I know that. I know it's important. And you have two things that happen in the workplace. People sometimes are doing work that's just simply silly. It's also the piece where the work is important, but people don't know that. They don't have a line of sight to how important what they're doing really is. That's particularly true sometimes in highly technical work. So test significance is do things that are important for people that recognize their importance. The whole nonprofit world is built on, on we'll do the work because it's important kind of thing. That's one of the uh, clear drivers. Feedback is another one that's essential if you want to create a motivational job. Probably if there's any one thing I'd say to, to listeners out there, whether they can go ahead with motivational work design or little pieces of it or odds and ends, I'd say open up feedback channels. We talk about feedback in two ways. What most people think about feedback, which is somebody tells me something. And in the workplace, there's often all kinds of very structured, very carefully and effectively run performance review systems where people wait for six months to tell you how you're doing for the past six months. That has some benefit. Feedback from somebody telling you something has some benefit. But much, much more effective is feedback from the work itself, where you know by what that you're performing good work. Sometimes customers even say thank you. And some people tell me that's very rare, but, but that happens. It's like a bowler. A bowler rolls the balls, pins fall, or they don't fall. You don't need a supervisor to say, oh, you only knocked five down. And then you have to go back and say, which five? So opening up those feedback channels so I can tell how well I'm doing is really important. And it, it, if you can tie that to a customer, so that I'm working for you or you're working for me, and I know you're, you're satisfied or even, even more than satisfied with the work I'm doing. I, I know that. I can, I can tell that by, by your behavior. Autonomy and feedback are actually multipliers to the um, work effectiveness and, and work design model. Uh, accountability is people are responsible for something. They have a whole job and they're clearly responsible, and they know that. They are accountable and responsible. Obviously, that ties to the feedback we were just describing. You can also structure your organization in such a way that autonomy is enhanced at multiple levels because of the motivational work design at the, I'll call it the worker level or the transaction level. In my mind, the perfect service model is a service provider and a recipient of that, and you match that up. In the real world, that breaks down. The service provider isn't available 24-7. You know, there are all kinds of volume issues and it can't get it done. But, but that model and driving to it is important. If you have a manufacturing environment and you've got big equipment, that can sometimes make it a little more difficult. And maybe you can't get quite as far as you can in, in say, a service operation. One of the world's largest banks today got to the position where their customers described them as a small local community bank because they 
they were gigantic. So now you had the benefit of the big pot, deep pockets of the big bank, but it operated in small operational units around certain customer segments, types of customers, size of customers, and so on. And that was very effective. So I guess the benefits are higher levels of engagement, but there are also some productivity and, 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 and also cost improvements. What have you seen? organizations typically accomplish by using this, implementing this framework? We will focus on, on kind of three targets. One is, is doing the right things and being effective at it. But efficiency is also one of them. You know, so, so cost savings is important. On the effectiveness side, quality is important. And, and then the third piece, which, you know, everybody will say they're after quality and productivity. But in the third piece, we say, is, is the motivational work design, make, making the work be a motivator in and of itself. And where you want to be is in the Venn, the, the, right in the middle there. Typically in organizations, we're trading these things off. The pendulum swings back and forth. Yes, we want this to be a good place to, to work, so we're going to do all this good stuff. And yeah, it's going to cost us a little more. We'll give people more money and we'll overpay them and, and we'll give them M&Ms on their desk and all of that kind of stuff as a way to get around the fact that jobs suck, excuse my language, but it's not a very good place to work. So we do all the stuff around it to make it a good place to work. So what we're saying in motivation work is, is don't trade those things off. It's harder to figure it out to save money and to have high quality and to have motivational workplace, but it's really worth the effort. And, and implementation is important. There was one large, very well-known organization that implemented motivational work design and found 70% cost savings. Now that's extreme, but 30, 40% is not. And it often comes at layers of management, organizational layers. So if you've got people that are in jobs that are whole jobs beginning to end, they're accountable and they know it, they get feedback and they know it, they run their little business you don't need stacks and stacks of checkers. You don't need stacks and stacks of managers. And so that's where the saving comes in. Sometimes you can get a sharp pencil and make it look, well, your worker costs more than my worker. Well, if they're doing more, if they're responsible for more and they're accountable for more, they should make more money. But the savings tend to come in what can happen around the rest of the organization. From the, the personal point of view, one of the things that happens is people stay engaged with your organization turnover can become non-existent. I've had situations where we've actually found that to be a problem. You ought to have some level of turnover in organizations. When do you think job design is not appropriate? Is it a cure-all? Should, should everybody apply this framework? Well, that's a great question. Should everybody apply the framework? Probably yes to that. But the framework applies differently in every place. And are there places where it doesn't fit? Yes, I think there are. When the work itself is distasteful, another potential place where it's difficult to implement is when technology is really driving everything. And technologies can be designed, the underpinnings of the way their code is written can either facilitate motivational work design or it can work against it. And We've had organizations have to decide that they had to change their technology because 
what they had was designed around a functional model, a task by task by task model didn't lend itself to the whole job concept where I can do the whole thing at once. So sometimes you get into those technology situations and you can't go as far as typically is what happens there. The other thing is size of organization. Most small new organizations are already designed this way. You start your business and you do everything. And then you bring in a partner and they do half of everything. Then what happens is you start to make decisions based on, oh, we got to bring somebody else in. We don't want to pay them as much. What can we have them do that one, I don't want to do. That's how I decide it. It's tech work I don't want to do. And then I can pay them less. And that's when we start to strip the whole job apart. It starts to come apart piece by piece by piece and eventually just keeps breaking down. If your organization is so small that you're already working pretty well, maybe some of the concepts, like sometimes around feedback, there's still opportunities to do that, but you're probably not going to drive a big motivational work design project that way. One thing that I find really intriguing about it is it's a good cure or counterforce to what I've seen in a lot of organizations, which is unconscious job design, right? Yes. Where people take a job description out of a drawer and they change three words. So they had something from a previous job, right? But they never really step back and say, how should we design this job? And, and, and so I start with first principles. The, the job design approach goes back to first principles and says, let's really apply a research science-based approach here that actually measures how well a job performs in those dimensions. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, the work of Dick Hackman and Greg Oldham and my former partner, Bob Jansen and Ken Purdy, where they started to measure the stuff through the job diagnostic survey. And they took that and defined six principles that we use to uh, design organizations. One is to look at the work from a, what we call a content analysis point of view. So what's being done there that needs to be done and should be done? And what's being done that doesn't need to be done? And maybe you have to make some changes first before you can eliminate. So for example, I go into an organization and say, we got to get rid of all the checking, no checking. And of course, people go nuts and they say, well, what? I say, well, before you get rid of the no checking, we got to get rid of errors. The two things go together, but the goal ought to be I really don't mean that either. You probably need some sort of random sampling periodically so people can get feedback on how they're doing. But instead of one-on-one -on -one checking, which is often the case, how do we eliminate reports that go to 12 people that nobody looks at or are nine pages long when they're looking for two data points? Things like that are in the content analysis. And then the other thing is to combine tasks that fit together. So you know, looking for pieces of work, instead of me doing a piece of it and handing it off to you, I do the whole thing for my client, you do the whole thing for your client. You go into a sandwich shop, there's the two models. You walk in and I go to the person and I say, I want this. And they go off and they make it, they come back, they tell me it's uh, $12. Or you go in and you tell the person standing at the cash register who does something like this. And then off to the side, somebody cuts the bread, Somebody else puts on the oil and vinegar. Somebody else puts the lettuce and tomatoes. And you've got a functional work design. Combining the tasks is one and creating natural work units. And natural work units are things that cluster together. We tie them to something called client relationships so that I have a relationship with my client. So maybe you and I are a team and we service all the 
automobile repair shops in our business. Maybe we're a leasing company or something. And we have all the automobile shops. So that's our natural work unit. And then you and I divide it up. You take A to M, I take N to Z. Now we have client relationships. So those two things fit together. Client relationships are very, very powerful. They force people, even if the organization isn't helpful to them, they force people to go back into the organization and make it work for them. And then vertical loading, and we we alluded to this earlier when we were talking about accountability. So if we're really responsible for these people and we are equipped with knowledge and tools and training to deliver on that, then we can vertically load some of the management principles. And so the idea of vertical loading some management responsibilities as well as task responsibilities So, for example, I do the transactions. I also do the client relationship management. And I have the quarterly meeting or the every six-month meeting to look at the entire relationship. And then the last of the six implementing concepts is feedback. We talked about that earlier. The feedback from the job itself is really the important one there. How relevant is job design today? I think it's extremely relevant. I think young people, and not just young people, more and more of us, I think the pandemic has shown this. I think the evolution of some of the social issues have have shown this. People want more. They want more meaningfulness in their life. And motivational work design gives you the opportunity to provide that. People are becoming less and less tolerant of of silliness in in anything, particularly in the workplace. why, Why do silly things? One of the major obstacles is people just don't believe you. You know, when I said earlier, you know, 70% people just, they don't believe me. I've heard any number of times that you can't do that. That doesn't work. I've never, and my response to that is, is one, you can't tell me that because I've seen it. I've known it. I've seen it. I've talked to people. I've heard stories. I've seen stories. I've been involved with stories. So I know it can be done. Now, maybe it can't be done in your organization. You could, you could make that argument to me, and there may be all kinds of cultural reasons why you can't. In some cases, particularly privately held companies, the boss just doesn't believe it. And if the boss doesn't believe it, it's not going to happen. My partners aren't always happy when I do this, but if uh, I get a, a leader who says, oh, I don't believe in this, I say, well, let's shake hands and leave as good uh, as friends because we're not going to work together because it's not going to work. And at the end, neither of us are going to be happy. So I do think that meaningfulness in all aspects of our lives, doing things right, doing the right things is becoming more and more important. I, I know lots of organizations now are saying, well, do we bring people back? Should we bring people back? And if so, how and what? If not, what does that mean for the work they do, the jobs that they and how they're managed? And I think that's where the motivation work design can come in. I think it's very powerful to say, let's rethink this. If people have such intact pieces of work, they can probably work more independently, right? But also it makes the organization much more scalable, right? I also imagine that it's a powerful antidote against low engagement scores and and, and high turnover. Turnover in places that have have implemented work design, turnover can almost become a problem, as we talked about earlier. It goes goes away. You just said something there that I want to emphasize. And that's skills building, and, and we call it training. I prefer development as a term, but but the idea that people are constantly learning is really important. <clears throat> I think it's important throughout the motivational work design, 
Because when you've been in the motivational work design eight, 10 years, you got other problems, you know, you got to keep shaking the place up a little. But in the early stages of work design, developing people is very, very important. And it's important at multiple levels. It's important at soft skill levels, how I interact with people. If I'm now going to be dealing with customers, how do I interact with them? How do I organize things? And then the hard skills. I talked about combining tasks. Well, I need to learn how to do that other half of the task. So there's initial training and there's coaching and development that goes along with that. And that's where you can get growth. One of the things I talk about flattening organizations and fewer levels, well, how do you grow? Well, you can grow on a, on a personal knowledge level. I become a coach. I become an expert. Communicating to everybody in a motivational work design model can sometimes be a little tougher than in a functional model. I can do a blast in a functional model. I can do it by function. When I have the whole task, it can sometimes be a little more complicated. And every bit is important. So how do you go about implementing this? Is this like a big bang design exercise? You go in there, you study the organization, you say, this is what you should do. Is it a, a bottom-up, more incremental uh, approach where you slowly move towards this? But it's been shown to be most effective in your view. The more you can engage people in doing their own design, the better off you are. That's probably a truism across lots of things, not just motivational work design. So you want to get their folks engaged. You can do it in Big Bang, and, and we've done Big Bang in, in several places for lots of reasons where the CEO comes out and says, we're going to do this. But then your implementation model, really, we talk about tops down and bottom up. So the top is driving. Here's the needs. Here's what's going on. Here's why we have to be better. The bottom is saying, here's what I'm doing. Here's what doesn't make sense about this. Here are ways to improve it. So, And then those, you know, you want to bring those two things together. So one of the reasons for the job diagnostic survey is you can have, you know, people take that survey and then they can self-analyze it and you can then put teams together. We very, very often use cross-functional teams. If the organization is functionally organized, there are raters and coders and underwriters and billing people and customer service is 15% of the population. Just think about that. Customer service is the responsibility of these guys over there. That makes no sense when you say it abstractly like that. So you bring them all together. You put them around the table. Lean does a lot of that same thing. Where I think the motivational job design goes beyond lean is in the other concepts around autonomy and feedback and, and management structures that you apply to the lean process. Several of my clients have said to me, there was a really important moment where you came into my office and said, you're just not pushing it hard enough. You got to push harder. If you're going to take the leap, take it. One of my partners used to say, you don't jump the river in two jumps. You, know, you, you jump it in one. So the more you can engage people and then the more you get them in designing their own work, one, they're the people who know it. And if they don't know it, they'll know that and they'll tell you that. And then you figure out, well, who does know it? And in functional organizations, there's always a supervisor somewhere who knows everything inside out. And everybody is desperately concerned that person is going to resign and leave and the whole place is going to fall apart. You want everybody to be like that person and have that same level of knowledge. The other connection I'm, I'm thinking about is it's rental cars. Nobody washes a rental car. How do we expect employees <laughs> to do continuous improvement and being really right gang ho about it? We don't really trust you to 
to shape that or even have have input into the design. I assume it also makes the deployments much more sustainable because if people build it themselves, A, they take accountability for it, and, and B, they're going to stick with it longer than if it's getting imposed on them. Right? I think one other reason why I think this is, I think, tremendous appeal today is that it's really it's like a data-driven approach. So it's not that we think this is a poorly designed job, but we, we can look at the entire organization. So it has a diagnostic component. Yeah. I think that's an area where actually work design has benefited from some of the other initiatives, uh, Six Sigma initiatives and the lean principles, which have brought more discipline yep. to the model. At the worker level, it's pretty obvious to them. As people listen to this and executives ask themselves, well, is that something I should consider? What might be some indicators that this is uh, something that they should take a hard look at? One is is the human resources elements. You know, what's happening in turnover? What's happening in people calling out sick and all of those kinds of things? We've had people just call us because turnover is going through the roof. What can we do, you know? And well, if we make the workplace better, that's got to be better, right? Another one is customer performance. What, what are you finding in terms of the way your organization is performing with your customers? Are deliveries being made on time? Are they getting what they were supposed to get? I wouldn't go into this because I want to save money. I'd go into it because I want to do a better job in the workplace and I want to do a better job for my customers. I'll save money along the way, but I don't think it should be the driver. I heard the statistic the other day. It came from Microsoft, where it surveyed knowledge workers, and they said that 41% of people anticipate that they're going to look for another job over the next year. I think that's a staggering number. And I think job design could be a little bit like a preventative measure uh, against that, because that obviously is going to be a humongous disruption of companies like really in the war for talent. This could be a powerful weapon in their arsenal too. Clearly work design can temper some of those things. I've had the good fortune, Thomas, to know people who've evolved through this. They started working in a functional thing, doing one little thing, and then uh, a year later, they're doing this whole job and they've got new technology and they've got these responsibilities. And I've talked to some of them and the, the impact on their lives, on their personal lives, on their families' lives is amazing. You know, I've had them say, I never expected that I could ever have a job like this or do this kind of work or, or be this responsible a person. And it's really amazing. And in the area that you and I are both in northern New Jersey, but People who said, I never thought I'd have a chance to, to do this kind of work. And it's really, really amazing. And those people are not leaving the organization. Certainly not going to leave the organization to go to one that's functionally organized, you know. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your insights. And don't forget to check out the other episodes of our podcast and follow us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you get your news. Thank you very much.